What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? It's your co-host, Ridge. We're back with another episode. Yeah, Jack, we're back. Uh, back in the booth feels good. Uh, I think you're recording for the first time from a new place yet again. A lot of movement on your end lately. Uh, how's the new studio looking? Yeah, thanks, Chris. You are uh, a bedrock of stability, um, and I'm just on the pod carousel you know swapping locations all the time i did get a shout out to my sister martha um i did get a just goes to show like plaque mural type thing that's on the wall in my new office down here in south florida so i'm just south of miami um and we're back on the eastern on eastern time so it's nice just kind of being a little closer to the uk for premier league purposes that, I mean, the extra hour on uh, Saturday mornings, especially those 6.30 games turn into 7.30 makes a big difference. Uh, so it doesn't hurt at all to, to have that extra hour. I agree. But yeah, I'm no, excited that you're in the new spot. And it's it's been a while, obviously, but we're at a pretty critical time in the season with the, uh, the window going on. We passed the halfway mark. Uh, it's been a little bit chaotic. There's a lot of uh, competitive stuff going on in terms of the top and the bottom of the table. So it seems like a really good time to dive into all of it. Yeah. Why don't you lay out what we're going to cover today? Well, oh, wow. That's, I mean, I always set it up, but you always lay it out. So I feel <laughs> a little bit of pressure with that, but okay. Yeah. So we're just going to talk a little bit about where we're at in the season right now. Uh, December and January, probably the two craziest months of the season with the exception of maybe like the last few weeks. So we're going to talk about that. Um, dive into a little bit of the title race, relegation race, um, some potential January transfer window news, and uh, perhaps moves that we think are necessary or we'd like to see. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the fallout with the financial breaches from Everton and Forest, as well as an update on the Manchester City breaches. You are going to present trivia to me, and then we're going to do some predictions for the Saturday and Sunday fixtures this weekend. There you go. That's a wrap. Yeah. How'd I do? Not bad. Not bad. Good intro. A lot of hype. Um, and I felt like it was shorter than mine usually are. Yeah. that's. I think that's <laughs> That's not super surprising. I think if you ask any of our friends, I'd probably be a little more succinct with all of that. But yeah, I mean, I think just starting off, it is like a really, really weird time in the calendar. Um, coming off of December where there are a ton of matches. Um, you obviously have Boxing Day. You've got stuff around the New Year. And then we come into January. And most teams, I think, only have two matches in the Premier League for all of January. We've got FA Cup matches scattered throughout. We've got multiple um, Continental Cups for international tournaments going on. So kind of, I guess, where's your head at right now with all of this chaos? Yeah, my it's, it's a weird... It definitely is a weird feeling. I feel like right after... You know, right after the holidays happen, there's a lot being said for the ho- for the players of, about player welfare and how many games happen, and then it all sort of like goes into an echo chamber and it becomes very quiet for the first half of January. The games are very few and far between, um, and you know you have a couple cup games. A lot, some of the Premier League teams aren't even in the cups anymore. So, um, you know, uh, some players are able to go on vacation over the last week. Um, you know, some players pick up like three, four week injuries, which if, if they happen at a different time of the season, like I'm thinking about Trent Alexander Arnold, who might only miss one game from like a pretty nasty knee, knee ligament injury. Um, and uh, might only miss one game, one game in the Premier League. Whereas if that happens, you know, a month earlier, he might miss five or six. So, um, so you can view it a, a bit, uh, like as that is a bit of fortune if you're a Liverpool fan. So, um, I think for me, 
I'm I'm kind of desperate for things to pick back up um, over the next couple of weeks. We had games uh, this past weekend and then this upcoming weekend as well. Um, and then also I'm I'm like it's kind of pathetic, but or I had this moment. I'm, I've been watching Afcon games during the day and like deep in fat mob like looking up these squads i found out chris hewton's the manager of ghana uh so jordan i was playing up, up at left wing for ghana and chris hewton's the manager which is hilarious um and then i was watching a game yesterday and the feed just cut out like it was on being sports and then there were just issues and it was all over twitter like internationally air- televised game uh, i think it was between senegal and guinea just uh new, new guinea just stopped being aired like there were just tv this you know someone like snipped the cord with scissors so it was transmitting the game which i felt like was very very afcon and on on brand um it's been a bunch of red cards and things like that so i have been trying to like scratch my midweek football itch that i developed um from the holiday season with afcon yeah, I wouldn't say pathetic's the right word there, but it is interesting. It's it's definitely not quite the same level of quality as the Premier League. Um, Afcon, watching those those international matches, especially in Afcon, it is a little bit chaotic. I feel like that is one of the competitions where we always see like instances of referee corruption. I, I, I don't know if it was Afcon. I think it might have been two years ago when they just blew the whistle after like the eighty seventh minute in that one game for full time. And yeah. uh, I, I was watch. I saw a highlight of I think it was the Senegal Senegal Guinea game where uh, a Guinea defender like within the first two or three minutes cleared one out of bounds for a corner with like no one within fifteen yards of him. So you just see like really weird stuff going on, and uh, the quality of some of the teams like you have Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane playing, and then you'll see a couple of countries where you're like you've never heard of a single player on the squad. So yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit all over the place, um, and. It is always crazy that it just happens in January uh, because it is such a, a headache for all these teams that are losing guys for six weeks or so. Um, and some of the best players in the league, obviously Salah is gone. Sun is playing in the Asian Cup, which I feel like we've probably followed a little bit less, mainly probably mainly for time difference uh, purposes there. That one just seems like it gets a little bit left out. Um, but... Like Nottingham Forest, I think, is missing like five players. So there are a lot of teams that are really, really affected by it. Um, and then, obviously, you, you do have like your FA Cup matches where you have to play some players. There's potential for injury there, too. So you, know, you have guys like Trent getting hurt. Um, but they're, they're, there's not a lot of Premier League fixtures going on, but these guys are still playing matches, uh, or most of them are in some regards. So it's a little bit of a chaotic time. Uh, yeah, but I do think I, uh, it's a good. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I, I my like dark horse for Afcon is Cape Verde. I watched them play, and I thought they were just <laughs> n- nasty tactically. Like they were at, they were actually really really fun to watch. And they beat Ghana two one. Um, the game that cut out, sorry, it wasn't Senegal. It was uh, Cameroon, Guinea, um, and they had Eox Moriba. So he's like an FM darling who's oh, playing yeah. central midfield for Guinea. Um, and yeah, I, I but at both watching it, I feel like. I don't know. I imagine that it's how like a degenerative gambler, gambler feels going from like the horse races to like betting on turtles on like YouTube or something or like some some other animal race like greyhounds or something where it's like just like not as traditional. That's kind of how I feel like going watching AFCON after watching Premier League. It is like that. And I just looked up Cape Verde because I figured I didn't know anyone on their squad and they, they beat Ghana 2-1 two days ago, which is... 
That's interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't think I recognize a single player on their team. So that's a that's a pretty big win against Ghana. Um, yeah, we'll have to yeah, monitor but, the situation there. They've afforded Bebe B E B E, not to be confused with the brand, um, who plays I think for like Real like uh, Sociedad, or he plays maybe Villarreal or Real Vallecano, I think it is. Um, in, uh, and he's just kind of like all over talismanic forward. He's 33. Um, so they were fun to watch. <laughs> Bebe, yeah, I'm, I'm looking him up right now. That's uh, quite the career for him. But, I mean, that's, hey, you get the opportunity to play for Cape Verde in the AFCON and make a name for yourself as a 33-year-old striker upsetting Ghana. So that, that's cool. Um, anyway, though, I, we do pretty much talk about uh, – wait, wait a second – Hold on one second. Um, there's a there was a lot of. I'm, now I'm really diving into Bebe. Um, one of the, like the people also asked things on Google was how much did Manchester United pay for Bebe, and uh, he almost transferred to Man United for a fee of seven million, despite manager Alex Ferguson admitting to never having seen him play. That's what it says on Google here. So this guy might have had a little bit more of a career than we realized, but. I don't, let me see if he actually went there. Anyway, we'll we'll dive into this, the Premier League <laughs> table, but I, I had to say something. Um, he he did go to United. Wow. All right. And he got loaned out about 100 times, and he's played in Portugal and Spain since then. Interesting. All right. Well, um, we are 20 to 21 matches into the season for everybody but Bournemouth, Brentford, they both played 19. So everyone else is on 20 or 21 matches. The table has really taken shape. Um, I think we should probably just start with the top of the table, title race. Um, it, it really seems like there are five teams that you could make a legitimate case for having a chance at the title right now, which is probably more than we've had at this point in the season in a long time, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of those teams, I think people might might talk you out of but just in terms of points we have five teams within five points of the top which is liverpool right now um where what are your like overall impressions of the title race right now i know we're, we've kind of always been in this boat the last couple of years in the pod where if it's close we still lean heavily to man city do we feel like that's the case right now or do you think this might be a little bit different where a liverpool or another team has a legitimate shot to unseat them. Uh, I think that other teams have a legitimate shot, and I feel like we, the media, and just a lot of spectators, you, we get so used to just being like, "Ah, City will figure it out." It's just because kind of we've seen them be so good for so long now, um, and it's sort of like your rational mind. It's almost kind of like if you see. I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of an example, but like you see someone walk to the edge of the building, it's like, oh, they won't jump. They know not to jump. And it's like, you know, you're expecting them not to because that's what you're used to seeing. It's sort of the same thing with City. It's like you see them in in this position. You're like, oh, yeah, they're going to win it because, like, that's what they do. But I think a couple things are different about this season with City. Um, I think on the back of winning the treble last season, I think it's impossible to say that they have – the same relentless energy drive and you know target like what's their target this year right to, to run it back and and so I think that that's just really hard to do psychologically um, on top of that I think Erling Holland his health he obviously has been nowhere near as prolific as he was last season they've, they've been forced to get goals from other areas and since he has been injured um, 
you know, you've actually seen the team sort of do a little bit better in the league since they went off to for a quick hiatus in the Club World Cup. But they were dropping some points before then. Uh, and you saw, I've, I've never seen since Pep's been there, that team get dominated the way they were dominated at Villa Park by Aston Villa. So I think, I really do think that this race is going to stay pretty tight for a while. I think a lot of these points, a lot of the teams at the top of the table still have spurts in them before the end of the season where they're going to you know, lose consecutive games, go on a bit of a run where they're struggling to pick up points. Arsenal are sort of in the middle of their run right now. If you would have said a month ago, you know, Arsenal, uh, City and City's lost three games and Liverpool's drew six, you'd be like, you'd be feeling pretty good as, a, as an Arsenal fan. But, you know, they've sort of lost their grip on it a little bit. And so I just think that the Prem, as these bottom teams are starting to get bigger or starting to get stronger, really, if you look from... 13 up right now in the table 13 maybe 14 up in the table there's 14 really really good teams who can sort of beat anybody on their day um you know you've seen the resurgence of wolves and our gary o'neill bournemouth have finally figured out in a really difficult side to play against chelsea you know look like they're chelsea you know have cole palmer and, and look like they could beat you on their day newcastle is obviously a strong side brighton united west Hamerl, formidable opponents so you've got you know, those are all teams that I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, City, every time they play Fulham, Bournemouth, Wolves, Newcastle, you know, et cetera, for the rest of the season, they're going to, you know, they're going to play them off the park. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that's fair. And I think that that Villa match is a really good example because Villa did take it to City that day. Like we haven't seen in probably the last five years um, mm-hmm. a performance like that against a Man City team, especially in the Premier League. I do think... I mean, we've we've fallen into the habit of just penciling City in a lot, and it's kind of one of those things. Your analogy was crazy about the jumper. wasn't expecting that. I was going to say, like, the cream rises to the top, you know, like a, a, an old adage yeah. that everyone's familiar with. Um, yeah. But it does happen, you know, and they have a game in hand over a, a fair amount of teams in the table right now. Liverpool do seem like the biggest challengers, in my opinion. Um, I, I really think that they made some very, very good signings this summer in uh, Dominic Sobelzai and Alexis McAllister. I think those are huge upgrades for that team. Darwin Nunez has settled in a little bit. He's not necessarily like a 90-minute player for them, but I think he he makes a big impact for that side. And Salah just hasn't fallen off at all. Um, we're seeing the best form out of Trent Alexander-Arnold that we have in a long time, uh, at least attacking-wise. He still has pretty bad defensive numbers, but... Overall, I do think that they're the biggest challengers. If I was a betting man, I'd still put my money on City uh, over any other team. Um, what you, are your thoughts? You yeah, I'd, occasionally. But I don't know if the odds would really be worth it. I feel like City's probably still like minus 200 or something to win the league. I haven't mm-hmm. looked. Um, what are your thoughts on the the chances? Like, who would you? How would you rank Liverpool, Villa, Arsenal, Spurs, in terms of their ability to challenge City, what would you what would you rank those teams one to four, and how do you think they'll finish this season? Liverpool, Villa, Arsenal, Spurs. I yeah. actually think that this pains me to say, but I think that it's going to finish Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Villa, Spurs. I think that'll be the table. Um, it pains me to say just because I think Villa is going to slip one spot, and I would love to sit here and tell you that I think they can pull it off and win the league, but you know I just don't think they can. I think it's just too soon in their development, and it would be 
I mean, if they did that, it would be crazy. They also have the, you know, the European front that they're still fighting on. So um, if they were out of Europe, and, and that's maybe the one thing that benefits Spurs. Uh, so I, I'm throwing a lot in here. So my official ranking will be Liverpool, City, uh, Arsenal, Villa, Spurs. I think the only way that Villa slipped to fourth or maybe kind of that, that three through five gets a little mixed up is a little dependent on the business that uh, Spurs do in this January in this January win- window because they've been linked with they've already signed a couple different players. Um, They're the only team really that's made any moves. Yeah, and I think it's because they realize like, okay, shit, like we're pretty good under Ange Postecoglou. Um, you know, maybe if we'd kept Harry Kane, you know, we'd be making a title push right now, right? Um, and I don't think their position, their issue, their need position is necessarily center forward. But I think if uh, if they if if they hadn't had this feel out period of Ange, if they maybe would have gone full tilt, you know, in with Ange and, and invested that money in the summer of the Kane sale and been a little bit more uh, thinking ahead, I think they would, you'd, you'd probably be looking at them at the top of the table if they bought, you know, another center back to play with Van de Ven and, uh, and Romero, just because they've been decimated by injuries. Um, well, they, and they so did just buy one, um, Radu Dragason. Yep. Uh, from Genoa, so that that was a move. He's 21, so I don't know if he's going to necessarily slot in right away. But they did try to shore that up. They've been killed with injuries, and mm-hmm. but the thing about that their injuries is that they are not all season-ending injuries. Like they're a lot of these guys are going to get back into the mix for them uh, that they've been without. Uh, Van de Ven has been, I think, really really good signing. Um, mm-hmm. Adogi has missed time. Really good signing. Pedro Poro has really been in form lately. Um, Benton Kerr has struggled to stay healthy, but a, a really, really good player in my opinion. Once they get Sun back, as more and more of these players come back and get healthy, Brennan Johnson, another one that has been injured, I, I don't know. I'm higher on Spurs than I am Arsenal right now. I, it might be recency bias. Arsenal have only won one of their last five Premier League matches. But I, I think it's just the style, watching these teams play. I, Spurs... Are, they play really attractive football. They have a lot of different options in the attack. Um, I, I don't know. Arsenal have been really, really underwhelming for me lately, and yeah. I would be concerned with them. I, I don't really see a way for them to be involved in the title race. I do think it's probably just between Liverpool and City, realistically, but uh, Arsenal out of the, those five teams are the one that have disappointed me the most so far this season. Yeah, I think that's a fair take, so i flip it back to you then. Same question you posed to me. You know, where do you think these teams will rank at the end of the season? Um, I, I mean, I so you said Liverpool in a way. I mean, I guess I didn't include City in that ranking. Do you actually think Liverpool would win the title if you had to pick? Yeah, I think they will. Okay, so I would go City, Liverpool 2. The other three are really, really tough. Um, the way that things are trending right now, I think I would go Spurs 3, Villa 4, Arsenal 5. I could really see Arsenal being left out of the top four. Got it. So we've just got Spurs and Arsenal swapped. So they had different sides of North London. Um. I. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Which but I, I, think th- I think it's going to stay fair. close on points. I really think it's going to stay close because I, I. I do think Villa have the ability to sustain their form. Um. It wouldn't shock me if they slid out the top four, but I think they're going to compete for it the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to just fold, um, and, and drop out of that race altogether. I think they're going to be in the mix coming down to the last couple of matches. Yeah, I think if you know if you watch Villa tactically, I think they're really set up well against 
some of these top teams. Um, so Unai Emery has obviously made his living at sort of these fringe top six clubs, you know, in Spain and and obviously with Arsenal previously when they were kind of closer to sixth or seventh best in the league. So I think he plays the top of the te- top of the league teams really well. And I think the current structure of the Premier League, given how just sort of competitive top to bottom is, like a lot of teams try to pl- actually play through you, you know, the Bournemouths, the Wolves, the Newcastles, um, you know, actually try and play good football against you. I think Villa match really, really well against those teams. I, I actually think, um, whereas some of the traditionally top uh, top teams, so City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, I think, you know, they match up better um, against, you know, the relegation fodder, so the Burnleys, the Lutons, you know, um, et cetera, which I, you know, I, I'm not saying that, like, Villa are bad against those teams, or it's a better matchup. I think it's a better matchup on paper, but I'm just saying in, in terms of Villa's tactical approach, I think Villa play better with teams who who want to play on the front foot. And so because you have mm-hmm. so many teams who are fairly competitive this season, I think that that is a uh, something that makes me lean towards Villa staying up at the top of the table. Villa play better against teams who are on the front foot and l- want to possess the ball against them. They struggle well, against a, the A Everton good example is there that, yeah, just playing Everton and not scoring exactly because yeah. Sean Dyche is the classic not-on-the-front-foot type of manager. Yeah, uh, yeah. As, much, as much respect I have for him, that's just not the way he wants to play. So no, I think that's a good take. Um, any more thoughts on the top, or do you want to look a little bit at the bottom here? Yeah, let's go, let's go to the bottom where it's – you know, you've got to give some credit uh, while we're talking about Everton. You got to give some credit to Sean Dyche's Everton, who's currently one point outside the, the relegation zone, despite the ten point deduction. So without that de- deduction, they'd be sitting in in twelfth um, ahead of Bournemouth, and you'd see see Brentford down in the relegation zone. Yeah, I mean, they would be. I mean, twelfth place with the where they've been the last couple of seasons would be a really big accomplishment. And, and right now they still do sit a point a point safe. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of the the breaches and punishments here later on in the pod. But I would say that it's, it's not super surprising that the top, the, the three promoted teams are sitting in the bottom three right now. I feel like beginning of the season, we, we thought that all of them might struggle. Um, Sheffield United, I think it's safe to say that they're pretty much doomed, right? Yeah. Blades are down. I mean, nine points, they're eight points from safety. Um, they really haven't shown anything. I do think Burnley and Luton, uh, having watched them, they they put up a little bit more of a fight. I could see them nicking some wins, especially against teams in the bottom half of the table where they might not be dead yet. Um, but Burnley are starting to get into a, a little bit of a precarious position. They did get screwed pretty badly against Luton. I don't know if you saw the highlight, uh, the 1-1 draw yeah, they had last Friday. It was, I mean, it was a shocking decision. It was one of those times where VAR like would have really come in handy and they just didn't correct a mistake on a, an, a late equalizer for Luton. Um, and so, I mean, that would have been a huge result for Burnley picking up three points against Luton. Instead, they draw one, one. So do you, do you think realistically, like looking at the bottom half of the table here, the other teams that might have a chance of slipping down would be Everton, Brentford, Forest, Palace. I mean, those are the only teams within seven points of the bottom three. Out of those teams, could you see any of them slipping out to a Luton or a Burnley? Yeah. So, no. If you want my if you want my pick to say who's going to get relegated, it's currently the we I think we said this at the beginning of the year, right? That the yeah. three teams who went up are going to go right it's back. It's not down, shocking. So, no. Um, I think to Luton's credit, 
Luton have found this, they've kind of made Kenilworth Road a fortress and this like great day out and really loud, you know, all the fans there love, you know, when Premier League teams come to their ground. So they're having a great day of it and a great run out when teams visit them. So that, you know, they're having good home. And they're kind of fun to watch. Yeah. They're kind of fun to watch. They put up fights at home. Yeah. They they get the ball wide. They lump it into the box. They, they kind of play opposite of the probabilities of a lot of other teams trying to play through you and, they don't really care, and they could. They got you know a couple of big center forwards that are all muscle you and Adebayo and Carlton Morris, and yep, they got Andros Townsend and Ross Barkley kind of late in their careers throwing in both having pretty pieces. <laughs> yeah, they're both having pretty decent seasons. Ross Barkley especially surprising for me. Um, yep. he's been pretty impressive actually. So, and then uh, Alfie Dowdy. I mean, they have some guys that can make plays out there. They they put up a fight week in and week out. I think they got really really disrespected coming into this season and you look at the bottom three they have the best goal differential they have the most points and i think they're the team that i'd be most nervous to play out of those three so um even if they go yeah, down they've, they've put up a better fight that i think a lot of people would have expected yeah agreed and you got to give them credit i think i would only be nervous to play them if i was going away at kenilworth i think if you make them True. come to your park especially playing on the big pitches right if you get them at a villa park if you get them at the etihad you know a big that uh, they're they're for those who don't follow or you know don't know, but Premier League teams have the ability to size their field within different dimensions, right? And so there isn't like it's not like one the same size pitch in every stadium in England, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, it's part of the home field advantages. You will literally change the size of your ground dependent on your your team's playing style um, so there's a couple yard difference in terms of length and width that you can put the the pitch at um, and so Luton's is much smaller than some of the the bigger teams who want a more wide open possession based game like you have a you know the new Whitehart Lane Villa Park etc so um, that plays into their home field advantage of course they're right on top of you at all times um, I think looking at the bottom of the table, the only team, and I'm just going to kind of like throw this out there because it is like the counter narrative to what it's been the last few years, which is Brentford kind of suck. And yeah. without Ivan Tony, they really struggle to score goals. And what they do tactically is really, really simple. And it's been praised, this sort of robust, simple, astute brand of football that they've been playing these past couple years to punch above their weight. It feels like, and there's this there's this period, we talk about this a lot, where you finish in like 8th, 9th, 10th, um, and if you're not actively investing that money into, into top talent, or, you know, trying to maintain, if not advance your per, uh, position, then, you know, the players that were there, you know, get old, lose their form, wither away, whatever it is. And Brentford, I mean, they've lost five in a row. They're bad right now. Um, Brian Mbomo, uh, with some injuries, um, has been scoring. They can't really get goals He's, from anywhere. They're playing like yeah, King, Mbomo, up top. Like, Mbomo's out until March, I believe. So that's, that's a huge problem. He was having a very good season. I mean, they're getting Tony back, so... Uh, they, they're going to need goals out of Tony. And Mbuomo being hurt has been a killer because he really was helping replace a lot of what was lost with Tony being out. Um, but, I mean, we've praised Thomas Frank over the last couple of years and the job he's done at Brentford. It's been a really, really rough patch for them. But I'd, I have a hard time thinking that this is going to continue for the next four months and we're going to see them 
go down in, in favor of a Luton or a Burnley staying up. It just, they do seem like out of those teams towards the bottom that we named right now, the team that I probably have the least amount of confidence, confidence in at the moment. But uh, especially with Nottingham Forest getting a little bit of a bounce from uh, Nuno coming in, they, they have looked a little bit better. They've gotten a couple of wins now. But I mean, I really realistically, Burnley or Brentford, excuse me, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to go down, but they need to improve I a lot. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, like I said, I think yeah. the three teams go down. I just think Brentford. When I look at the bottom of the table, and I think who's you know, like yeah, if you're a Palace fan, you're not feeling great. If you're an Everton fan, you're like shit. There's FFP. Forest fan, you're like Nuno kind of sucks. Like you know, Fulham fan, you're kind of like I think we're okay, but uh, you know, all these teams kind of you can look at it glass half empty. I think if I'm Brentford, I'm I'm looking at it the most glass half empty. Like I'm most alarmed at the amount of water in my glass. I think that they <laughs> the, the form's been bad, and I I. I have a hypothesis, Chris, for you, that since Thomas Frank went on, what was it, um, like Sunday Night Football or Saturday we Night Football. We were raving about that interview. Yeah. We were sending gave, clips back and forth and just freaking out about how much we loved that interview. It was awesome. He gave such good insight into the way Brentford play, and he literally described what they try and do. They try and create like kind of like odd odd man advantages at the back post for, for back post crosses. And like since he gave that interview, I wonder if when he just spoke so clearly and like just literally said what they try and do in every in every single game, their form's not been great. I know. Right? And so I wonder I, if that's helped teams game plan against them. It could. I mean, my hope is that you'd think like these teams have smart enough people to recognize what they're doing anyway when they're watching film and, and studying for them. Yes. But maybe we're giving them too much credit. I mean, he really did like outline exactly what his tactical strategies are. And especially, I mean, he was comparing how they play against like the biggest, best clubs versus the other teams in the table and how they switch up the yeah. formation. And yeah, I mean, it was maybe maybe a little bit too, um, too, too clear of his intentions. And I, like maybe he's not that adaptable when it comes to it, too, because it did seem like he has like this very, very clear thought out strategy. And now if, if teams, it might be less of the interview and more of, okay, they've been in the league for a couple of years now. Yeah, All these true. teams have played Brentford a few times and, and maybe have been able to adapt to it. Um, but I don't know if Thomas Frank has really done much to change any of that, especially with Ivan Tony being out and Ellen Blomo being out. Like maybe some of these injuries, you would need a little bit of a tactical shift and he, he hasn't done that. But we'll, we'll see where they're at. I mean, five straight losses is a lot. I think it might be a little bit of recency bias. I, I don't think they're going to stick around at 16th, 17th in the table for the rest of the season. But with Everton playing as well as they have up until the last few matches, um, I do think that they're, they should be a little bit concerned right now. They, they do have to pick up some points uh, to just make sure that they're not making things dicey at the end of the season here. Yeah, it was weird when Pal two weeks ago Palace beat uh, Brentford 3-1 and it was when Brentford went up 1-0 to start the game and I kind of thought to myself like oh classic Brentford they go up 1-0 from like a, you know they nick a cheeky goal tactical advantage man advantage at the back post or a long throw Ethan Pinnock or something and they just kind of were always doing that in these games going up 1-0 and then not conceding or you know keeping the game close all game long and then nicking you on the counter and then Palace scored three and came back and won 3-1 and I, I just had this moment where I thought like ooh this isn't the Brentford that I'm used to, you know, like 
Um, or the very, Palace. Yeah, very not brand for a Palace either to score three goals in a game. So I guess I'm concerned, and and it, it, it'll be kind of like Nick Sirianni. It feels like potentially that Nick Sirianni uh, feeling, Chris, where like I don't know if, you know, I don't know what what's happening within the walls of Brentford, but I think if they lose, like if they lose like their next three, um, and they or if they get kind of mid mid February and they're still on 19 points, and Ivan Tony comes back and doesn't bring the goals, like people are going to start whispering. There, there will be conversations had, no doubt about it. He will definitely be one of the top odds managers to to be sacked. Although I don't really think any manager at the moment is super in danger of that. Maybe maybe Vincent Company, but um, we'll, we'll monitor the situation with Thomas Frank and Brentford. Watch this um, space. I did, Watch this space. Um, I did want to talk not long because there's really not much to talk about, but the January window, um, the only signings really so far of note are Timo Werner on loan to Spurs and then the aforementioned Dragason to Spurs. No other team has really made any splashes. It does look like um, Sir, the Spurs did recall uh, Sergio Regulon from Manchester United, and it looks like he might be going to Brentford for the rest of the season, which would be an interesting move, um, especially with Rico Henry being injured. I think they could probably use some more fullbacks, but that's really it. Uh, I feel like every January it is a little bit of a letdown when we talk about moves, and I think every every team, every fan would love their club to make a couple of signings. Everyone's really in the same boat. It's like, oh, if we can shore up these couple positions we need a little bit of depth here maybe another goal scorer and it just seems like we never really see the action or the activity that we would want um is there anything that you think is like a desperation situation or things that you expect to happen in the next two weeks here before the window closes i don't think any desperation situation i so i i think there are a couple other like less sexy transfers like a couple outgoings right like Jaden sancho left manchester united outgoings think, yes yeah. yeah thankfully you know we don't have to see that headline over and over again because i'm sick of it um hannibal left manchester united so um on on loan with an option to buy at sevilla so so manchester united kind of moving some assets out with their new with their ownership change with jim radcliffe coming in as a minority shareholder um and then uh, David Fofana, David uh, Datro Fofana going on loan from Chelsea to Burnley. Um, that that could be big for Burnley. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the other the other big one that is right. The other big rumor is Calvin Phillips um, potentially going out on loan or permanently. The loan finances that City are requesting are outrageous. I think they want almost his entire entire salary paid, and I saw a six million pound loan fee. Uh, which is outright like that's a that's a crazy move. There's a lot of teams interested, but I don't think anyone is agreeing to the finances at the moment. So that'll be something to monitor as well. Calvin Phillips, who hasn't played in like two years, I think that'd be crazy to to spend that on a guy for the next four months. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's a risky move. I don't even know. I mean, I'm not sure what a, what kind of transfer fee he would command right now, given the lack of playing time. I think people still rate him pretty highly. He's not old, but yep. that's a risky move to, to bring in someone for 30, 40 mil that hasn't played in years, basically. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, he's still young, so he's still got years, you know, plenty of years ahead of him. And then the other, um, I think he's 26, 27 probably at this point, so he's still got plenty of years ahead of him in the position he plays. Um, I, think, I think where you're going to see a little bit more moves being made is, you know, classic towards the end of this window, towards the end of January. I think this weekend's pretty big because 
the Euros are looming in the summer. And so there are quite a few players like Calvin Phillips, for example, who are on the fringe of their national teams in the national team conversation. And if they're not playing regularly in the back half of this season, they won't go to the Euros this summer. So um, I think that's where you might get some movement and see some interesting you know, some interesting things happen towards deadline day. I think these conversations are being had kind of mid-January. Um, again, a lot of teams have, are, have ha- are having fewer games, cup games, so there's some squad rotation. I think as the Premier League kind of kicks back into regular schedule towards the end of the month, you'll see managers probably have some one-on-one conversations, or you'll hear about managers having one-on-one conversations with some players and saying, hey, you're in my plans for the back half of the season, or hey, you're, you're unfortunately not. Um, and for those players who aren't, they're, of course, going to go to their leadership and say, um, you know, I want to move away. And so I think Calvin Phillips is, you know, a good example of one of those players. Um, there's a handful of players um, across the Premier League or who, who sort of resemble, you know, similar uh, similar positions in their career. Um, but there, what's interesting is there haven't been any big money, big name signings rumored in January at all, right? Like no one's really talking about you know, any massive names from Europe coming over for 70, 70 to 90 no. million, right? Like feels like these windows of like, you know, uh, all like a lot of some good players obviously left for Saudi, right? Um, and, and this past year, but there aren't like a ton of really high valued foreign assets bopping about Europe that, you know, someone's going to go bid 70, 80, 90, 100 million pounds for. Um, feels like they're already in the Premier League. Um, really, the only one that I've seen, and it's it's been rumors for probably the last three windows now, is Victor Osimhen. Um, Rumor with Chelsea, maybe Arsenal, but I don't think there's really enough legs behind that to get that done in January. That might be a summer thing, but yeah, I mean, there's there's really not much going on in terms of big moves. I mean, we saw like as Villa supporters, we saw the the Paulo Dybala rumors, but I mean, he's also like right. 30 years old. That's not going to be a, a massive fee signing. So it is an interesting point, um, at Premier League at least. I mean, obviously, like we have to hear about Kylian Mbappe every couple of weeks about whether or not he's going to go to Real Madrid. But outside of that, there's really not much, not much chatter in January. I think this is maybe the way uh, more of a norm now going forward is that we might not see a, a lot of big January moves. Historically, we haven't really seen a ton in the last several years, but it does feel like it might be more dead than it ever has been in January, and we just have gonna have to wait to the summer. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe an internal move that's being discussed a lot is the Ivan Tony one. I don't think that's going to happen in January, especially with where Brentford at. We just talked about them at length. Um, I think looking at the table, you might see Villa move for an attacking midfielder to sort of displace Saniello. I've talked to you guys, you know, in our group chat that that I think Villa could target a player of Dybala's quality or some sort of attacking midfielder. to, to play on the on the opposite side of a Leon Bailey. McGinn's done a great job out there, but I think there's some some room for depth there. Um, like Liverpool just spent big. I mean, maybe they go and grab another center back, but do you really want a center back in January? I don't think so. Um, you know, the only team, I, I maybe you can look, I mean, Spurs are, I think, are maybe going to bring in another central midfielder. Thankfully, Pap Sar has become, like, really, really good for them. Um from from their use from their you know just from kind of growing into the team um maybe there's some rumors because arsenal's lack to score like they bring in another forward or another striker but it's tough i mean that that attack is already dense with martinelli trossard saka jesus 
Got, it's not getting the goals uh, they got Odegaard. last year out of those guys, though. So. Yeah, they're absolutely not. And so maybe you think that they're just like, hey, we need a new guy to walk into the room and kind of, you know, make make us stand on our toes a little bit and, and you know, displace Jesus and give him something to work on. Because those guys, I mean, they're just struggling to score. That's that's Arsenal's big problem right now. So yeah. maybe you can see Arsenal making some sort of move to bring in someone to kind of electrify the atmosphere a little bit. Maybe they shouldn't have spent the money they did on Kai Havertz, but that's uh, too late on that one. Let's talk a little bit about the financial breaches here before we get towards the back half of the pod. So I did a lot of reading on this today um, because there's been a lot of a lot of updates going on. Um, obviously, we, we touched a little bit on Everton's point deduction in the first half of the season. So 10-point deduction, they've somehow kind of rallied behind that and probably played a little bit better uh, with their backs against the wall. They're still definitely in the relegation mix, but um, kind of unprecedented that they now are charged with a second breach um, in the same time period too. So essentially what these teams need to do is they have to submit their annual accounts, like similar to what, how you would like a tax return, your, your earnings as a business, your, your revenue, your losses, and they judge them over, um, the playing season. So I, I believe that the window is July 1st to June 30th. And um, the accounts for the previous season are due on December 31st. So Everton and Forest submitted their accounts. They were notified uh, within two weeks of submitting them that they have breached their, um, the Premier League profit, profit and sustainability rules. Um, essentially what that means and and hopefully a, a pretty quick explanation here is that the Premier League teams are permitted to make a loss of no greater than 105 million pounds across the previous three seasons. Um, and Forrest are in a little bit of a unique situation because they weren't in the Premier League for those three seasons. They, it's a different timeline. So they were restricted to a loss of 61 million um, because two of those seasons in that window, they were in the championship. Uh, both these teams have they've gotten ruled that they breached that um, and essentially now they're in this period where they can appeal so like Everton has already appealed their first 10 point deduction and that appeal is still pending now they got hit with a second violation in the same period which they might face further punishment for um, they're basically claiming that it's it's bullshit that they're getting um, a violation for the same period that they're already appealing they are they, they, like their accounts i guess are a little bit in limbo because of their appeal uh as well so it's like a little bit of a fluid situation with everton they're kind of claiming like double jeopardy they shouldn't be punished twice we're gonna have to figure out what's gonna happen with them forest have taken a little bit more of a a passive approach to it basically saying that um, they're going to cooperate with the premier league I'm sure they're going to appeal as well, but they seem a little bit more subdued that, to the fact that they probably did have a breach. Um, also reading about Forrest's breach, Brennan Johnson getting sold. He got sold right before deadline day for, I think it was about $48 million. It's tricky timing for them because they could have sold him a couple months earlier and they would have avoided these charges altogether. They, they held out and got an extra probably $5, 10000000 million for that sale, and then they breached their... Um, breach the rules so the timeline for this now is that there's a a decision due from the premier league for both clubs by april 12th after april 12th both clubs have a week to appeal 
And then pending that appeal, a final decision is due from the Premier League by May 24th, which is after the season ends, about five days after the season ends. So this is kind of unprecedented. Um, these rules have been in place for a while. The, the Premier League, all the clubs in the Premier League vote on these rules. Um, but we have two teams that now are facing potential points deductions, and we might not get a decision until after the end of the season, which is insane. Um, I know that's a lot. In the midst of all of this, Manchester City have 115 uh, potential rule breaches that they've been charged with, but that was from 2009 to 2018. Um, it was announced today by the Premier League uh, Chief Executive Richard Masters that they've set a date for the trial. They won't announce the date, but it's rumored that it's going to be in the fall, and a decision will likely be coming for Man City in the summer of 2025. Um Meanwhile, Chelsea are also under investigation. That investigation started in August. So we have four teams now potentially facing issues. Really, it seems like Everton and Forest are the only ones this season that could be punished, but they are in a precarious spot because right now they sit 15th and 17th in the table. So I guess, Jack, what I want to like bring up to you with all this is, number one, um, do you think that these punishments are fair? Do you think points deductions are fair? I, I guess, how would you like to see these types of things handled? And then second question would be, what the hell happens if we have to wait until after the season is already finished to potentially hand out a deduction? Those are all, those are good questions. I think, where do I sit on... Um, whether or not clubs, if you ask me kind of the first question, which is, should they be punished? I mean, answer is yes, right? right. Like everyone, everyone knows what the rules are. Quite frankly, if you don't have, you know, if you're in these room, if you're in the boardroom, if you're a director of football and you don't have an accountant on staff telling you, hey, you know, Chris, you shouldn't sign this guy or we can't spend more than 30 million because that's going to put us in the red for you know, profit and sustainability rules or FFP. Like, so let's not do that. Like that's your fault. <laughs> you know, there are very clear rules that you, that you make up. And so I'm shocked at like the level of oversight that these teams are like somehow submitting findings and then finding out afterwards. It almost makes me wonder like how far does the negligence go, right? Like does Everton, did Everton know or did Forrest know like, Hey, we're over the limit, but fuck it we need to stay in the prem right like did their owner this greek guy did he think last year we need to stay in the premier league but i know i can't spend this money because i'm gonna break rules ah fuck it like i'm just gonna spend the money and then see you know ask for forgiveness later it seems right? like with forest that might be more true because forest right. spent an ungodly amount on transfers uh their first season in the prem everton they're claiming that they haven't been able to count their their new stadium expenses against their losses and that's part of the reason why this is happening um so, i mean obviously you have to like know how to how to account for that going into that it's a huge expense when you're building a new stadium but right. I, they haven't really spent in the window the same way that forest have and everton have sold players over the years too that forest haven't so it's a little more surprising with them forest it's it, i mean when they got promoted they were going nuts in the window and it, it's kind of not shocking that they're running into issues with this yeah. so i mean i agree i think they definitely need to be punished i don't know how and i do think the timeline is extremely complicated because 
if you give one of these teams a deduction after the fact and it puts them in a relegation spot, oh my God. And if you, you know, if you get like five days after the season, if you give them a, a 10 point deduction and they're 12 points safe, then there's basically not really a punishment then. They'll, they'll lose out on a little bit of money um, from their final position at the table, but that seems like a little bit of a slap on the wrist. So the timing is crazy. It's very, very tricky. I guess they've come out and said that because there's so much chatter about Man City. Or there's 115 breaches for Man City. Why is Everton, why is Forrest getting punished? It's because they've, they've basically proven that they've breached these laws within the, this past reporting cycle, right? And City was so far back that there's, it requires a much deeper investigation. I don't know if they have all the evidence that they need to um, specifically like dole out a punishment there. It seems like Forrest and Everton, they're like, hey, like this just happened. You guys broke the rules. We see it. You reported these numbers to us. They don't work. Um, so it, it's a little bit more black and white with those teams. But um, it's going to be crazy. I, I do feel bad for Everton supporters. They've gotten a 10-point deduction. They've rallied, and now they might be facing another issue with it. It, it seems crazy to have to, to deal with that during the season twice. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... The other thing I was reading about was Wolves. They Part of the reason why uh, Julian Lopetegui left is because they basically told him, hey, we cannot spend any more money. Like We are going to breach FFP. We can't spend any more money. And he was like, all right, well, then I'm out. So props to Gary O'Neill who's come in and has them in 11th with basically nothing coming in. But that that's the thing. You, you have to punish these other teams because there are certain teams that are abiding by these rules, like a Crystal Palace who haven't spent money, like a Wolves who haven't spent money. And they shouldn't be punished, you know, like indirectly because they are actually abiding by the guidelines that all these teams have to follow and are really well aware of. So crazy situation, not something we've really dealt with over the past couple of seasons. Um, the 10 point deduction was unprecedented. So, yeah. And if you're I think that obviously who stands to gain, like if you're one of those we talked about the relegation scrap earlier, right, those three promoted teams and you're kind of thinking, hey, if we just finish like, you know, if you're Rob Edwards, manager of Luton, you might say like, hey, if we finish 17th, like one of these teams might fall ass backwards into relegation because of uh, financial fair play breaches, you know, so like every game matters, even if, you know, they already, they're already relegated, right? Like, so that could be an interesting dynamic at the end of the season. If so, a team Definitely. clinches, clinches relegation, um, but, uh, you know, mathematically they're relegated, but then they have a glimmer of hope that, oh, pending this trial, it could be Everton to get another point deduction and then go down, right? Um, so I agree. I think we're on the same page that they need to be punished. I think, you know, the level of punishment is going to establish a precedent, um, and of course, I think it needs to be strong enough because otherwise, like I said, if you're Forrest, I gave the Forrest example earlier, they were like, we need to stay up, fuck it, we'll violate FFP. Like, if that happens, then what's the point of having the rules in the first place, right? Like, um, like you know, in, you can't find the money because they're already operating at such a loss, right? So it's like, they don't care, clearly, right? Money isn't enough to deter them, right? So... Well, know, and the ultimate fine is relegation, really, when it comes to your finances as a club, yeah. so... Yeah, so I it's it's it is an interesting equation. I think you think about some of the other tools at the disposal of these clubs. Like, could they, you know, could they do a transfer embargo? Could they? Um, they could take points away. They could, um, you know. And yes, it feels unfair to the supporters. But you know, on the Everton side of things, it's like, well, you know, you're you're getting a new stadium, right? And so, 
you, you, there is a reason your expenses are so high. It's because you know, you're paying for this brand new stadium that you're all excited about. And I'm not saying that's the supporter's fault and I'm not pointing my finger to supporters saying it's your fault at all. But I, I do think like, you know, if you're a supporter, you have to recognize that like part of supporting your club is also supporting the ownership of your club. And as a Villa fan, I've seen this go south, you know, firsthand and been some uncertain times. And that's where it all feels a bit messed up where it's like, it's all billionaires game. And we're just kind of, you know, peons watching them do whatever they want. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't know what the punishment's going to be. I, I think at the end of the season, it's going to add another layer this season that we haven't had a, a while. And I would like for the Premier League to be this sort of purest place that doesn't go, doesn't become like Italy where they're taking away titles and, you know, doing shit like that. I think once you get into that whole murkiness, it's sort of, under, you know, as soon as you're doing it, as soon as someone does well, then you start to kind of say like, oh, they're cheating. It kind of like undermines the whole foundation of the competition. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to said this before, but I'm going to watch, watch this space and see what happens. Yeah, it just sucks. I mean, you want, you want the table where it stands right now to mean something. And if the fact right. that it could change at any moment is just crazy. Like I, I would be living with so much anxiety as a, an Everton or four supporter, knowing that at any point the hammer could drop. And yeah. you're all of a sudden sitting in a relegation spot, so it sucks. But you know, it is what it is. You gotta you gotta follow the rules everyone else is, and then maybe we're gonna see Man City just get a, like an automatic relegation in 2025. Like whatever's gonna happen with them is gonna be insane. But that's gonna be a yeah. lot more delayed. We won't know for a year at least to like get an inkling of what's gonna happen there. So let's uh, let's go. Let's do some trivia. You said you got trivia. Yeah, I got trivia. Trivia is pretty simple this week. Well, I say simple, but uh, short. We'll try and keep it short. We've been going long on trivia the past couple of times, at least I have, with my question asking. I got killed um, the last time. Killed. I'm, I'm nervous. So, <laughs> so my question is, uh, think is relative. We were talking about halfway point of the season, who's playing well, who needs to do some business in January, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I'm curious for you, Chris. Um, irrespective of appearances, so I'm using whoscored.com data. Um, okay. Ir- irrespective of appearances, all, keep in mind all of these players have at least five appearances um, in the Premier League. Who would you say are the top five highest rated performers so far this season? Um, they're from four different teams is your hint. So the top five highest rated performers this season they're from four mm-hmm. different teams. Um, and so I'll give you the clock starting now. Sala? No. He's six. Son? No. Okay. Um, Bernardo Silva? <laughs> no. Holland? Yes, he's three. Okay. Um, think. Jared Bowen? No. Huh. Um, there's got to be a Liverpool player on there. Um, Sobozai? I doubt it. Trent, no. probably. No, there isn't a Liverpool player. No there. Liverpool player? Okay. Um, I don't think Sokka's on there. He is. Don't? He's five. He, really? Okay. So is that the only Arsenal? Correct. Okay. Um, Ollie Watkins? No. got 20 seconds pedro poro no but there is one spurs player vicario no one spurs player 
Kulisevsky. Irrespective of appearances. Oh God. Um, Bentenker, Romero, Van Vandeven. Nope. Um, Ten seconds. Not, not Brennan Johnson, probably, right? No. Irrespective of appearances, that makes it so hard. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna get I, the time. Link, timing is killing me here. If you give me the teams, I'm sure I can get these guys. But all right, time. The low appearances um, is killing me. Yeah, so the it is hurting you because there's some, and you got Holland obviously, but none of these guys have played twenty games, um, so a lot of them played half or you know just over half of the the games for their club. So you got Destiny Adogi. Uh, no, you got Bakayo Saka at five. <laughs> and number four is another player from Holland's team. Okay, so another, another um, Man City player. I didn't say. Did I say Foden? No. I don't think he would be on there. It's not him. Rodri? No. He is seven. Um, John Stones? Nope. But he's he's had ten starts, two sub appearances. He's got two goals, five assists. Um, Grealish? And I, th- and I think both his goals he scored in the same game. Uh, no. So not Grealish. Not Alvarez, four, obviously, four, with those four numbers. Man of the ma- four man of the matches, uh, which is tied for second in the league. Four man of the matches in ten appearances? Yep. And then I can move on to the other two if you want to. Yeah, let, let me hear the other two then. The The other two, one is a uh, place for Spurs, and you've guessed everyone on Spurs except for this guy. <laughs> Eleven appearances. Three goals, five assists. Richarlison? Um, no. He's had one man of the match, and knowing you, I'm especially shocked in your affinity for this player. I'm oh, fuck. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously, James Madison. I, he hasn't yeah. played in like a month and a half, so he just kind of. He, yeah. I, I lost him in my mind. I, I obviously love James Madison. He's, yeah. Yeah. And then okay. the reason I came up with this stat, actually, so you've got two James Madison, three Erling Holland, five Bakayo Saka, so you're missing one and four. The reason why I actually decided this to be uh, the trivia question is because I was so pumped and shocked and impressed when I saw this. Number one, who John scored top, top rating? No, top rating, but you're along the right lines. Top-rated player this year. He's got five goals, one assist, three man of the matches, and seven appearances, two subs. Pedro Neto. Nope. That's probably he's got more experiences than that. Um, five Only, goals yeah. and seven appearances. Yep. Um, he's a winger, a left-footed winger. I'll give you that. You're gonna guess one of two players, I think now. Left-footed winger. Um, Leon Bailey? No. no. See, that's who I thought you were going to guess. It's not him. He has more appearances than that. Um, Yep. I'm looking at the table, like, which teams have (laughs) left-footed He plays for Palace. Oh, Elise. Elise is the number one. Who scored seven point six rating? He's got a better rating this season. He's been been good. Than James Madison, Erling Holland, Jeremy Doku, who's your number four. Um, I just Ah, got that. Sorry. Um, That's fine. 
uh, Bakayo Saka, Mohamed Salah, Rodri, uh, Soli March is seven appearances, seven four three. Sun Hyung Min at number ten with one appearance and one sub is Julio and Ciso, who's been injured. Um, yeah. So that's your top ten who scored rating in the Premier League this season, irrespective of, course, of appearances. Elise's hurt again. Um, yeah. No, I mean I got a lot of guys like just outside the top five, but. I'm not super surprised that I didn't do better. The Madison one is pathetic. Doku, <laughs> City's so City's so weird because they just no one plays consistently. Like when I said Bernardo Silva, I was like, it's got to be Bernardo Silva. Like he just scored this sick little back heel flick the other day. Like he just he seems like a guy that just like constantly gets rated high. I guess mm-hmm. Doku, I, I maybe could have gotten Saka. I wouldn't rate in the top five players in the Premier League this season. Yeah, um, and. Which is interesting, right? Yeah. Like you don't think just because the goals and assists aren't there for him, but he picks up a, he does obviously a lot, sort of outside of just contributing goals and assists, and so his rating across really yeah, all platforms is it's still really really high. A lot of the guys who you said, um, I thought you were going to guess De Bruyne after he just came on and had that great mm-hmm. game, but a lot of the I just, guys I, I didn't think he had five appearances. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. He doesn't. Um, a lot of the yeah. guys uh, in the kind of 11 through 20 are guys you guessed so jared bowen bernardo silva pedro poro trent elegant arnold phil foden you guessed all those guys there's neto in there 20. uh neto is on no he's not wow i feel like he was just red hot before he got hurt yeah but, you kind of go right. a little bit further you get to you get to the paquetas and the mateus cunhas ollie watkins uh Wang, maybe. is yeah, Pedro Neto is there. Is there? He's thirty-three. Um, thirty-three. So. That's just that's just, that's wrong. I'm not even that big of a Pedro Neto <laughs> fan. I'm just like really stuck on him now because I thought that was a good guess too. All right. Anyway, I another week of trivia where I just do not impress. I, I swear I'm smarter <laughs> than that. I think I'm just out of practice right now. Is what it is. But right. Uh, I I will say I will say quick shouts to um, everyone who was you were watching the the game at um at andrews right you're oh, the, the national, championship. national championship and yeah. you guys were playing footy trivia so i, I got like during commercials out. yeah brady kept reading trivia to us and uh, your dad was there as well uh, by the way i meant to meant to bring up earlier when we were talking about it your dad is still high on uh, zaniolo so just keep an eye mm-hmm. out he watch this space to- yeah, he probably ran to a buzzsaw at the Lockman house. Andrew Lockman does not yeah, like he, Zaniolo. He did, but Andy Andy said he was a football manager darling for him, so he's got a soft spot for him. Fair play, fair play. Yeah. Okay, let's just do some quick predictions for the weekend fixtures. So there's two on Saturday, two on Sunday. And then we got one match on Monday, a handful on Tuesday and Wednesday, so it's going to pick up a little bit, but we're just going to do the Saturday-Sunday ones. Uh, first one is Arsenal at home against Palace. What do you think there? Yeah, this one's tough. Uh, I think Arsenal really work out some steam and kind of pump Palace here. Um, I think it's going to be like three or four nil. Uh, so I'll I kind of do too. Yeah, I don't think I don't feel good about Palace in this one. No Elise. Um, one thing that's going to be interesting to watch too. I, I meant to bring up earlier when you were talking about Euros. Um, Sam Johnston back from injury. He is expected to play in the FA Cup against Everton. I believe that's tomorrow. And then it sounds like Dean Henderson will retain the number one spot for the Premier League match over the weekend. Um, I assume both those guys are in the, the Euro squad for England, but tough break for Sam Johnston, who had been playing well, got hurt. Henderson seems like he's going to take over that number one spot. 
Um, especially with Nick Pope being out, you'd think that there might be room for both of them on that squad. But yeah, that's keep a good an eye point. out there. I'll go 2 0 Arsenal. All right. Next game is Brentford uh, at home against Forrest. Yeah. Nuno's been hot, man. Uh, but someone's got to give. I mean, Forrest have won two straight. Brentford have lost at least five straight um, in the, the recent form here. I'll go 1 1. Um, I think Brentford are going to start to get some results here. Uh, and. T- I think Tony will be back for this match, so uh, we're gonna have to keep an eye on uh, on Ivan Tony. I think. Oh, also, I'm pretty sure Stephen McConnell said he captained him in fantasy Premier League. So what a crazy move that was! That's a psycho move, big. I know. I love it. I love it. He's. Tony. By the way, Stephen is like top twenty thousand in the world right now in FPL. So watch this space. Yeah, respect. I've been dropping like an anvil. Um, yeah. I think Brentford Forest. This one's tough. Don't love the colors, the red and white of both of these teams. Don't love when they match up. Um, I, yeah, I kind of lean towards the new manager bounce here for Nuno. Um, maybe Morgan gives why. I think they win two. No, no. One nil, Forrest. Um, Tony O'Blank in his return. Don't like the, the colors, huh? No, I don't like when two teams in red and white play against each other. Just don't like it. I guess. I kind of like Forest kits, but all right. To each his own. Uh, Blades at home against West Ham on Sunday morning. Blades at home against West Ham on Sunday morning. Um, yeah, I think Blades play this one pretty close. They've shown some fight since Wilder was appointed. Um, they're going to be at home as well. I think they'll be up for it coming back after... You know, the holidays, everyone's excited to start the new year at Blades. Um, I think Blades lose 2-1. Yeah, West, that's so funny. You're talking all about Blades, hyping them up, 2-1 loss. Um, yeah. I, West Ham, I picked up some knocks. Um, Bowen, Paquetza, both not sure if they're going to play, uh, which is a little Ooh. bit scary. But I don't know if I can pick Blades like at any point the rest of the season. So there's also I'm big fantasy. Go there's also big fantasy implication. Wait, what are you going? Two nil West Ham. Yeah, you're going to talk about Cameron Archer, huh? Yeah, well, there's big fantasy implications for you and I's game this week because I have Cameron Archer and you have Areola in goal. So that's why I'm kind of hoping for a Blades goal. Cameron Archer scores, wipes yeah. Areola's clean sheet. We're in an absolute rock match. fight this week in FPL. <laughs> two two of the best performances of the week so far. I, bold captains, you captain Cole Palmer, I captain Richarlison, they both return. And, uh, yeah, Cam Archer and Ariola, it could come down to that. We're going to find out. Um, we'll have to talk about that in the next pod. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll follow up. All right, last match that we're going to do, Bournemouth at home against Liverpool. Bournemouth, since, since we last potted, maybe the most impressive team over the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah, they've been really, really good. Um, it's clicked. Their principles have come across. They and it kind of clicked. I think one of their first good games that they played was when they played Villa. Um, yeah, they were really uh, good at the Vitality. Um, they, it's the Vitality, right? Is that right? That's where they play. Okay, yeah, um, and yeah, they're kind of starting to pick up some momentum, and it's a little scary. Solanke's banging in goals. I think this will be a really this will be like a low key a good game that I'm excited to yeah. watch. I'm gonna say two two. They duke it out. Yeah, to me, top of the table Liverpool Bournemouth have have been surprisingly one of the most entertaining teams to watch over the last couple of months. They play really attractive football. 
very, very impressed with them. I do think Liverpool win, um, but I think Bournemouth will score. So I'm going to go 3-2. Wow. Good prediction. Three goals like for it. Jota, two for Solanke. <laughs> Just to add to our fantasy <laughs> that would implications. That sink me. That would sink me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, but all right, yeah, well, we'll, we'll uh, follow up on those predictions. Obviously, we've got a lot of fixtures next week coming, too. And then once we get through January, it's going to be hot and heavy the rest of the season. We're, we're really not going to have many breaks. So... Um, looking forward to the home stretch. Yeah, exactly. And thanks for jumping uh, jumping back on with us, everyone, uh, for tuning in. Um, as he's, you know, we uh, to close out the year, we're on somewhat of a regular schedule, to say, to say the least, especially with me moving down here. So, Chris, I appreciate you jumping on, making time today. Um, of course. Also, being our financial analyst of everything FFP. Doing God, so many words that just jumbled in there. But I really didn't know how to do it in a better way. So... Um, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that probably don't really know the ins and outs. I still don't know them very detailed, but hopefully that was a little bit of a, a baseline understanding about it. And as the trials go on, we might learn more about specific uh, issues that went into these breaches, but we'll uh, we'll find out down the road. Cool. Well, appreciate you all tuning in. Um, as always, just goes to show. Everybody's human. Thanks, guys.